everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And hello, Naomi. This is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are excited to be joined by Nathaniel Grossman. His technical title is that he's a research intern at the Fordham Institute. He has been a teacher in Washington, D.C. and Columbus, Ohio, and he has a lot of thoughts about curriculum. But today we are having him on to talk to him about a post that he wrote recently about social emotional learning. And that's a topic that we have kind of gone back and forth on on this podcast a lot recently, but we feel like it's a really important topic. And Nathaniel raised a really important point. So welcome, Nathaniel, and tell us a little bit about what you wrote. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Ian. Thank you for having me on. It's true. I am the close to 40-year-old intern. (laughs) Um, I spent about a decade as a teacher in the classroom, loved my time there, but always had an interest in policy and bigger issues in education. So I recently took the dive and became a research intern at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, where I love it and we're doing great work. Now, the reason I wrote the article is because I had a lot of concerns about the current discourse around SEL. It's growing more controversial, unfortunately. Some commentators are even calling it the new CRT. And in particular, an article from Texas described some concerned parents who went before the State Board of Education and essentially said, character education is not under the authority of schools. That's my role as a parent. You do school, let me do the character education. And this struck me as a little misguided. Now, I think we should honor all parents' concerns, but as the title of my article suggests, you can't really do school, you can't really do academics without addressing those social and emotional needs of the student. Right. Well, that's an important question. So I guess the question is, how do you do that without it sort of becoming this close to CRT thing? I mean, you mentioned in your in your blog post, things like responsive classroom, and that the idea is that social emotional learning has been around for a long time. And in many ways, in many um, kind of sort of forms of it. It's not controversial at all. So I wonder if you could kind of describe what you mean by you have to take care of kids' emotional, social, emotional learning in order to have that academic environment. What do you think it entails? I think it's a concept that goes back to the ancient Greeks. Uh, We just don't teach students. We cultivate people. In fact, many people would say that's the objective of a liberal arts education once you get to college age. Uh, We don't want to produce evil geniuses and we don't want to produce illiterate saints. We want to cultivate both aspects of the student, the academic side and the emotional. Some people even say the character side. Now, in the classroom, This doesn't necessarily look like indoctrination, as some critics might suggest. There are a lot of conversations about why we are here. When I was a teacher, I'd usually start the school year with a conversation. What are our hopes and dreams in this year? You know, I typically taught kindergarten through second grade. So I, you know, turn to these students and say, what do you really want to accomplish this year? What do you want to learn? What do you want to do? And using that goal setting, we then turn to the expectations of the classroom. Well, you said you wanted to read 100 books this year. What type of things do you think you have to do to achieve that goal? And from there, making the students really reflective about their role in the classroom 
uh, their responsibilities to their peers in the classroom and how our little community should function. Yeah. I mean, Nathaniel, you may know, I, I you know, I run schools as mm-hmm. part of my part of my day job. And uh, it, it is, in essence, true what you're saying. It's impossible to have an adult human being interact with 25 to 30 kids every day and not impart some messages around values or morals or character. It just seems to be how deliberate that effort is or not, right? Because the word indoctrination has taken on a negative tone, but aren't we trying to indoctrinate certain values into kids, like a sense of responsibility and morality? Isn't that a a rightful role? So that question A, and then B, but it seems that SEL, though, for some, is venturing into territory that it is trying to impose a certain view of the world. So what's that What's that distinction? Because I think it'd be naive to say that schools don't have a, an organic role to play in cultivating social and emotional learning. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I feel you can't get away from it in the classroom. Kids are always learning. They learn the things we explicitly teach them, and we teach them the things through our behavior. If you've ever had your child say a phrase that you have used in the past, even though they probably shouldn't use that phrase, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, children are always no going to... idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have an almost three-year-old who just picks up, you know, language at an incredible pace, even the stuff we don't want him to hear. But in essence, children are always going to look to the adults around them in order to figure out how should I act? What is the right thing to do? What are expectations? What are the consequences for my behavior? Now, how we can separate the things we do want in school from the things we might not like is to recognize that families really are the center of that character education. And this is where I kind of separate from a lot of my teaching peers is that I still see the family as the primary unit. That's where children learn values. We definitely reflect those values in school. We can definitely build upon them. But nothing we do in the classroom should directly contradict what's being taught at home. I feel like the best scenario for students, for children, are for teachers and families to work together in a partnership. And if they're at odds over values, that really can't happen. One of the challenges, though, just to put this in sort of the the current zeitgeist, let's just take the concept of inclusion. Mm -hmm. That is an idea that many schools are pushing. And again, on its surface, this idea of helping kids develop a sense of belonging, all that would generally seem to make sense. But there are parents that get upset when inclusion starts to include, for example, definitions of gender identity and being mm-hmm. inclusive. And so all that falls under the the SEL umbrella. So again, uh, where would you draw the line on some of these things? Because that this area in particular is an area where many parents feel that schools are going too far. It's a difficult situation, but I feel like there is a way to find a middle ground. I would, came through the new teacher project certification very much a school reform movement that taught us that every child that steps into the classroom should be valued and every child should be able to learn. 
So even the students who come into my classroom who might not be, you know, reflecting their birth gender, who might present in a different way, who might identify in a different way, it's still my responsibility as a teacher to make sure that child feels valued, feels safe, and is in a place where he or she can learn. Now, where I would draw the line is at teaching explicit gender identity. Now, stuff like that will come up in conversation in any classroom, and I think it's fair for teachers to address it. Again, on such a touchy topic, I do have concerns about teachers taking classroom time to teach that gender identity, even though I would be affirming of every child's identity in the classroom. What about, I mean, we're having a lot of conversations now, obviously, in the wake of these two recent massacres that have happened about what should be said to kids who are in the classroom Mm -hmm. um, about these things. And, you know, every school has sent out some email with advice for parents or this is what we're going to say to them at this particular age. or This was this is what we're going to do. What is your sense of that? Like, how, how much should schools be having these? You know, even even when there's not a lot of differing opinion, obviously, you know, every parent wants their child to be safe. You know, how much is it the teacher's role to try to draw students out on these questions and to try to, you know, act like a confidant or a therapist or a social worker in this context? That's a really hard situation, especially when you're the teacher of young children. I know when anything, unfortunately, many mass shootings. So whenever I've been a teacher um, and one has happened, it's not really clear who knows about it in the classroom, who's been told by their parents, who's intentionally keeping their child away from it just to protect them. But unfortunately, it does come up in the classroom. Kids pay attention to the news. You know, the radio might be on on the car ride to school and they hear this and they bring it to school with them. And unfortunately, as much as you want to shelter students, you can't always keep them from reality. If they know something is happening and it affects them deeply, it's something you do have to address in the classroom. Now, I wouldn't start my day that way. I'd never start my classroom by saying, you know, yesterday there was a mass shooting where over a dozen people were killed. What I would do is emphasize that our classroom is a safe space, that I'm there to not only teach them, but protect them, that there are people in the school that love them and care for them and will support them. And if they are ever feeling a negative emotion or something is keeping them from learning, I'm always there to listen. Or if they don't want to talk to me, there's a school counselor or there's a principal or there's a teacher they had last year. There's always a way to make yourself available to the students to know that they're supported without really getting into the details of what have happened in the news. Well, I was going to ask you one one reaction that we've seen actually um, in New York State this week to these shootings uh, was that the state decided to cancel the administration of the U.S. Regents, uh, U.S. History Regents exam, which is given to high school juniors. And the um, the state administrators said that they felt that giving this exam, and they weren't really specific about what part of it, could be triggering to students after the uh, the massacre in Buffalo. Now, a lot of these students in the wake of COVID, you know, haven't even had a Regents in the last 
two and a half years. And this one was canceled within a week of when it was supposed to happen. Do you feel that it's a, a teacher's job or administrator's job as part of that sort of social emotional learning process to restrict or alter in some way what the curriculum, what the academic curriculum is? Or is this just something where we're kind of supposed to be taking the temperature of students um, kind of emotionally in, you know, in, in other parts of the day, I guess? Now, this I heard about this and it was very concerning to me. I understand it was one question on the U.S. history portion that caused the cancellation. Uh, New York State has not been transparent about the content of that question. And as a result, have told students, you can't handle this. And in general, once you're at that high school age, and especially once you're at the age where you take the regents, I would like to think that we are not sheltering students as much. I think when you say to a student, you can't handle this, it's so triggering, we can't even tell you what it is. You're sending a message to students that they're fragile, that they can't handle the ups and downs of reality. And the regents are taken by high school seniors who I assume many are 18, well, this one is by uh, typically by high school juniors, but yeah. High school juniors. So still, they're 16, you know, they're still 15, 17 years old. Yeah. So again, at that age, I am very concerned about saying to a student, you can't handle this. I think that might be an example of safetyism. And you tell that to a student enough, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. This is too much for you. They start to internalize that and believe it. Now. Again, I say all this without actually knowing the content of the question. We don't know if it makes reference to a previous mass shooting. We don't know if it makes reference to the city of Buffalo. So in a way, the state of New York is saying not only can these high schoolers not handle it, the general population can't handle it. Yeah. Uh, so there is a concern about transparency coming from the state government. But you, you know, you allude to this uh, in in the in your article because I think it actually highlights one of the very issues of the criticisms of social emotional learning that there's a sense that the kids are so traumatized mm -hmm. it almost leads teachers and others to diminish their academic expectations, where it actually undermines, uh, and that's certainly I have seen that where this there's this perception as you just said where kids are so fragile, you know, there's, there's the pandemic. There's these issues, there's social media, there's all these pressures on kids. And so the mental health crisis mm -hmm. that has become normalized, it seems like there's actually an emphasis. I, I imagine some of the people that were pushing for this cancellation of this test may have seen it as yet another opportunity to remove standardized testing for which there's already an mm -hmm. effort to uh, get rid of. So that seems to be a central concern. Again, you allude to it where SEL is starting to displace uh, academic expectations in general. And to me, that's SEL done badly. So if I'm thinking about the times where I've taught SEL in the classroom, a lot of times it's lessons about grit, uh, about self-discipline, about perseverance, about pushing through those challenges. And I like to think that the SEL builds up the student so they can tackle that really rigorous academic material. If I'm teaching anything in the classroom that lowers the expectations for students, 
And especially if it lowers students' expectations of themselves, I've done SEL wrong. And when we see instances like that, I think we are right to call it out. Nothing we do in the classroom should diminish the student. We shouldn't diminish the student academically, emotionally, or spiritually. SEL done correctly builds the students up so they can tackle that material. I mean, Ian, I would go even further than what you said, which is that I think there is an effort to 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 view the tests as sort of traumatic themselves, mm-hmm. as a you know, as a source of emotional harm to students. I mean, the way people talk about, you know, high stakes tests and the level of stress and all the parents, you know, who I I, I don't think that they want to as much as they did before, but opt out of the tests yeah. and the the schools that want to do that. It's talked about often, not just as a way of like, oh, these, you know, these standards are a problem, but also we want to protect the students from the, you know, the emotional difficulty of having to go through these assessments. Again, I don't think we do our students any favor by sheltering them from tests. There will always be a test at some point in their life. And we don't want the first standardized standardized test that students take to be the GRE or the bar exam or the MCAT. Eventually, they are going to have to go through that (laughs) process. Right. Yeah. So I don't think we should turn kindergarten into kill and drill and test. But knowing that testing is a fact of life, that is something we need to get students ready for. Right. And having it regularly, of course, makes it in some sense less stressful. I mean, if you have like one test a year, it's kind of this make or break thing. You know, then it sort of turns into something that's much more emotionally difficult, I think. And I was trained that you should always know where your students are academically and emotionally. So that does mean assessments. Now, that doesn't mean I'm giving Scantron tests to kindergarten students, but I am checking in. Um, I'm making anecdotal observations. I'm doing exit tickets. I'm doing performative assessments. But there are ways to get students acclimated to that testing culture, and it doesn't need to take over the classroom. I feel like that's a false dichotomy that we have turned school into nothing but testing so we're going to eliminate it until it's super important. Yeah. And and just my final question on assessments. How do you really do assessments for SEL? Like, how do you know that kids are mm-hmm. on the correct side of the moral balance sheet? Now, it's difficult. It's more of the general culture of the classroom. So if I'm outside during playground doing duty, and I see a student fall from the monkey bars and not one friend comes to help that student up, that tells me that I probably need to do some more SEL education. I need to teach students about empathy, about helping friends. It's not so much a test. It's not so much an online program you can just have students do. It's really building that relationship with students and being aware of what they're doing in the classroom. The monkey bar test. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, can they share a crayon? And you would be surprised how many students come in and just haven't mastered that yet. Yeah. And even though SEL sometimes gets that bad rap, uh, you're just doing soft stuff instead of the hard academics. You know, if a student can't self-regulate, if they can't work 
collaboratively with the peer, they're not doing much learning in the classroom. So again, I try to come back to the the interconnection between the academics and the SEL. You know, SEL really should support the academic mission of the school. You're getting kids to a place where they can learn and be successful. Okay, well, thank you so much, Nathaniel, for joining us today. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. And you should come back and see our podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thank you, guys.